Welcome to Soil Health Lab's Plug and Plant Podcast, engaging farmers, ranchers, and researchers in the pursuit of healthy, functioning soils. Welcome to the second episode of the Plug and Plant Podcast. I am Barrett Self. And I'm Buzz Clute. And today we have Dr. Mark Liebig out of North Dakota. He's out of North Dakota. He works for the ARS and he's a research soil scientist. Um, I met with him first in October of 2013, but more about that later. A um, couple of things about Mark is that Mark was into diversity before diversity was cool. <laughs> so so uh, he, he's really passionate and really knowledgeable about this. And uh, 2013, I knew even less than I know today, and so he really educated me while we were while we were talking. So this is this podcast is the first of a series of two because I spent about an hour talking with Mark. Yeah, and, and I think uh, piggybacking off of that, from my listen through what will be these two podcasts, I think whenever you listen to anybody speak, you really want two things, and that's one for them to be passionate about their topic. And two, for them to be an expert on their topic. Mm. And I think Mark really embodied both of those things. Yeah, definitely. You can check those two numbers pretty cool, yeah, pretty easily. And, and I, I have to make another apology uh, about this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> the, the apology is that Mark and I exchange a few nerdy jokes. So if you pick them up, uh, it's kind of nerdy soil science jokes. So you may pick them up, you, you may miss them, but uh, we, we do have a couple of them uh, during the podcasts that we have. Yeah, try not to get too hung up if they're uh, <laughs> not up your alley. <laughs> <laughs> I think the central part of this particular crop cast is Mark's explaining crop diversity and then uh, the difference between crop rotation and crop choice and then this whole notion of dynamic cropping systems. Now, I'm not going to take away his steal his thunder because I couldn't but but um, he really does a good job of explaining that and then also explaining what they found what the researchers have found in long-term studies of the benefits of these dynamic cropping systems so that crop diversity they've actually got real numbers that that talk about yield and organic matter after a, a long term of these diverse crop rotations. So that's, I'd say, the takeaway from this first uh, crop cast. Yeah, a lot of crop diversity. And it's really eye-opening hearing him talk about not only the research, but really in-depth of the practices themselves, of how they're being implemented. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, the other thing, you'll pick it up, but these guys have been going for a century already in Mandan, North Dakota. And some of those plots that, that Mark's working on have a long, long legacy. He showed me when I was there some soil samples that, that they'd picked up, I think, during the Depression era. Wow. And, and they still have those soil samples. That's pretty so it's, it's, it's an awesome research legacy that these guys have. And, you know, Mark's a super interesting guy to talk to. Yeah, he sounds like it from the interview. Well, anything else, Buzz, before we let him let him have at it? No, let's let's get out of the way and let Mark take it. All right, guys, enjoy. 
right, um, we're here with Mark Liebig from the ARS in Mandan, North Dakota. Mark's a research soil scientist and I got to know Mark from one of his video talks that he did about soil habitat and in fact I still use that video uh, with my soils class. So that's kind of how I got to know you and uh, I really appreciate the opportunity to come and talk here and am kind of flattered by <laughs> how excited you are about this as well. So it sounds like we have a huge amount of opportunity. Um, Mark, maybe we should start about why are you doing this? What gets your motor going about this kind of work? Mm, mm. Well, you know, I, I, th I look at what I do as, as really very much a, a privilege. Okay. You know, I, you know, I, I uh, you know, to be able to, to work on, on a topic related to, to making agriculture more sustainable. Yeah. It, it's, it, that's, that's a huge issue, obviously, you know, and, and, you know, and for me personally, that, that issue allows me to integrate, you know, my concern for people and for the environment and my love for science all into a, a pretty awesome profession. You know, and and uh, but I mean, you, you got to keep your feet on the ground. I mean, the fact of the matter is, is that I'm probably only going to make an infinitesimal contribution over the course of my career on this issue. Yes. But um, you know, it's it's uh, it's important work, and and it's you know, it's it's easy to get up in the morning okay. and you come and do this. So it's it's. Uh, I know that feeling. So uh, that's that's a privilege to have it, Mark. You. You say you, you not only do research, but you do outreach as well. Tell us a little bit about those two fields that you're involved in. Right. Well, it, you know, it, it, um, you know to, to, to really have impact um, with, with, with your clientele. And here, you know, at our lab, you know, we've got farmers and ranchers right. that are our key clientele. Um, it, it's important to... To, to do the research, obviously, but then you also have to be able to, to take what you've done and, and translate it in a way that, that is, is understandable. And, and that's not something that always comes natural to scientists. Right, I mean, right. I, I think I was attracted to science because mm -hmm. it, you know, a lab setting or in a field setting, mm -hmm. I can, you know, set up my experiments, I do my measurements, and I write up the work, and, and boy, it's, that's, th that, that is really something that, that uh, is, 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 is really appealing, but um, getting it into print, the work's not done because your clientele is not necessarily going to you know, not pick up read your sixty-five articles a year. Or yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it might be a good way for them to fall asleep if they want to read that sort right. of stuff. <laughs> so you, so you have to take that and you have to. Um, I'm not saying you have to translate it in a way that 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 certainly honors the science, you know, yes. and it's true to the science, but makes it in a, in a more understandable way. Uh, for them to to to, uh, to 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 potentially utilize it. Yeah. So. I, I, you and I come from similar backgrounds. Is we're, we're both chemists. I think we both love this order and certainty associated with the idea of stoichiometry in chemistry. Mm -hmm. But you said um, that uh, one of your products was this cover crop chart of yours, yeah, and and you yeah. told me about your background. To go back and tell us a little bit about how you came up with with that chart. Well, um, 
you know, the, the cover crop phenomenon has been big up here in North Dakota for, for over a decade. And, um, and as you know, there's this big portfolio of different crops that can be used either singly or in, 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 in uh, cover crop cocktails. And, you know, as a soil scientist, I really had a hard time grasping all these different crops and, and how and a way to organize them in my mind yes. that would uh, kind of made sense. And so um, it kind of came to me 2009. I was evacuating uh, gas files in my lab and I was looking up at the wall and there was the periodic chart. And then it was like, Oh, oh, you've got okay. the groups. Okay, yes, yes. so and, and those groups can obviously share, you know, valence yes. attributes that are the same. Yeah. Our, cover, our crops are just very much the same way. Cool season, warm season, legumes, you know, broad uh, get the broadleafs in there grasses. as well. Right, yeah, all of that. And so, it, you know, before you know it, you know, you could take 46 different cover crops and organize them. That pictorially kind of looks like a, a chart. Um, and um, and so it it, it 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 worked out pretty well as as sort of a a first iteration for producers to to understand what options are available. You know, yes. You know, and then as they learn more about it, then they can kind of drill down. You know, um, online so, to learn and, more. And and part of that philosophy is you to create diversity. You wouldn't want to follow a. a warm season grass by another warm season grass. Okay, right. here it's not really practicable, but right. you'd want to follow warm season grasses maybe with cool season legumes or other broadleaves. Yeah, okay. right. right. And having a sort of a, a visual aid yes. uh, kind of aids, you know, I, I think it helps be able to, to, to make those, uh, to, to, to distinguish those differences. Yeah, yeah. and what yeah. we'll do is we'll get a, a picture or two of those. Do, so. yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, Mark, um, let me just go to my notes very quickly over sure. here. Um, <clears throat> one of the things I think um, you're also involved in is the whole idea of dry land cropping systems. So um, what makes dry land cropping systems more sustainable and what role does this whole notion of soil health play in those dry land cropping systems? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think to... <laughs> To adequately answer that question, you kind of have to look at the the environment yep. in which our dryland cropping systems are are uh, you know are situated, and you know we're we're here in the Great Plains. Yes. Okay, so weather extremes are all part of the norm. Okay. Okay. So you know the droughts, the wet periods, the high temperatures, all that is is something that that puts a stress on agricultural production. And the cold. And the oh yeah, we had do have a little cold here. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just just a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> but what this means is that in order for your dryland cropping systems to be sustainable, they, they, they need to be able to, to buffer these shocks, yes. to deal with the external stressors of the inclimate. And, yes. and you know, what we found through, through our research and other research throughout the Great Plains is that those cropping systems that limit their soil disturbance and also take advantage of crop diversity are the cropping systems that have this sort of inherent buffer to deal with you know the, these external stressors and and some of the benefit comes from improved precipitation use efficiency i mean water drives everything here okay okay so so you can increase that that's good but there's also a component of soil health that makes these these cropping systems 
um, a bit more, I guess, resilient. Yes. Because, go ahead. So it's, um, it's uh, um, Chris Reberg Horton talked about cover crops being, in a sense, a, a type of an insurance policy, lowering the risk associated with that, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Um, especially in dry weather. Talk about the, the you use the word moisture utilization. Talk a little bit, what do you mean by moisture utilization or how does that come into play with, how does soil health have anything to do with moisture utilization from a farmer's perspective? Right, so what, what we're trying to do is to, to, to make best use of the limited precipitation we receive. Yes. And so, A, that means capturing it where it falls, right. so it doesn't run off, Got okay? It. And then also, um, being able to, to create a, a sort of soil condition that fosters a high available water holding capacity. Okay. Okay, so that's higher organic matter yes. content. Um, maintaining a, a mulch of some sort of cover of some sort of, of, of residue yes. that reduces that evaporation. Okay. You know, those things together contribute to, to making best use of that limited precip. Yeah. I believe one of the, I'm not sure if this is attributed to, to you, but you were talking about the relationship between available water holding capacity and, and the increase in percentage soil organic matter. Do you have those numbers sort of off the top of your head? I, I, I believe you have a rule of thumb. Yeah, and it's actually work done by a, a former NRCS uh, scientist, okay. Roman Huston. He published that work in, in uh, Journal of Soil and Water Conservation. It's, it's a great piece of work yes. that, that draws these relationships between organic matter content and, and, um, and a, a water holding capacity right. uh, across different textures. Yes. And so it's, it's, a, it's, you know, while I don't have the numbers on hand, because there's a lot of different numbers in that of paper, course. obviously, it does provide, I think, a, I guess, a, um, a good trajectory in our understanding about how, you know, we can, you can change our management practices to affect that Soil, soil organic matter content, which with time will result in, 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 in improvements in, in soil physical conditions that allow the soil to, to retain a bit more water. Okay. Well, tell me about soil organic matter. What makes it able to hold moisture uh, when you add it to that mineral matrix, if you will? Ah, well, it's, it's, it's highly complex um, and chemically. Okay, yes. you can appreciate that. Right. Um, a lot of different, you know, binding sites and so forth. Um, it, um, um, it, you know, it, it, you have to take into consideration organic matter is, is a lot of different stuff in right. the soil. It's, it's just not the, the, the highly recalcitrant, you know, uh, humics, humics yep. and fulvic acids and so forth, but it, it's also included, you know, partially decomposed residue. Yeah. Okay. All right. And, and you've got, um, you know, the microbial biomass yeah. is, is another attribute right. there. And that being a fundamental component of soil health, obviously, because yeah. it yeah. has this feedback loop and all these right. biophysical attributes that, 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 that go along with it, you know, increasing it. So, no, it, it's a critical component yeah. of soil health. So, yeah. Soil organic matter seems to me almost a little bit like clays because clays, especially around here, have not only external surface area but a large internal surface area. Yeah. And in yeah. some ways, soil organic matter adds to that in, in terms of being sponge-like. Right. And uh, somebody said to me, it's, uh, or I think I read it, it's about the, 
the dying, the dead, and the very dead. Yes, so yes, I've, I've used that before. That's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, now, when you talk about dryland cropping systems, as opposed to what other cropping systems are you talking about in terms of their sustainability? Oh, well, I mean, there's all kinds of, I mean, you've got irrigated cropping systems, rain-fed cropping systems. Okay. Uh, you know, by dryland, I'm, I'm somewhat biased to our, our sort of Great Plains environment. Yes. So 100th Meridian, you know, yes. down is, is where you're, you're dealing with, you know, 16 inches of precip, 40 centimeters uh, okay. uh, per year or less, yes. you know, yes. so it, it becomes very limiting. It's interesting, um, one of the farmers in North Carolina came over and looked at what Gabe Brown and the folks at Minokan Farm were doing. Yeah. And he said, you know, if they can raise these crops on 12 inches of rain a year, we can do it in North Carolina. And that convinced him to go to cover crops. Okay. Isn't that a cool Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, what's interesting is, see, is that if you, sometimes when you have an extreme condition, right. you have to be a bit more creative. Yes. And you have to be willing to, to kind of push the system, take some risks. Okay. And, and that's, that's one fantastic attribute about our farmers and ranchers up here is that they're really creative in how right. they adapt these, these different strategies. And so sometimes there's a really good relationship between the researchers and then they sometimes kind of move ahead of the research. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. That yeah. is so cool, you know, the brain power <laughs> staying right in the farm. I know, but I, I, I hope I can, main, or we hope we can maintain a role, I guess, in, in, in providing scientific based information yep. to, to support what they're doing. And gotcha. at the same time, also taking some risks ourselves yes. that they may not necessarily consider or yeah. think of yeah. that could be important um, a few years down the line. Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. So. Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, let's go back to this. You, you talked about your diversity chart. Um, yeah, yeah. And you were trying to put that together. So it sounds like you've done a lot of work in terms of diversity. What role does diversity play in this sustainability of the cropping systems over here indeed in any kind of cropping system yeah. why should yeah. we have diversity well it's a good question and you know the crop choice within a given season is, is one of the most important decisions a producer is going to make Got you know within that year and then over long term it's a, it's a cornerstone of sustainable cropping systems this the the, the crops you choose and yes. when you choose them in yes. rotation and and you know what we've found through our research here yeah. is that those farmers that are adopting what we call a dynamic cropping systems approach yeah. Yeah. where they're they're making their sequencing decisions annually yes. based on production based on economic based on natural resource issues mm -hmm. to come up with the the, the best choice yes. okay all right and so the farmer's decision to, 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 on, on what crop they're going to use within a growing season is one of the most important decisions right. they're going to make yes. that season. And then over the long term is sort of a cornerstone of yes. their, you know, of, the, of sustainability for them. And so, um, so it's, it's hugely important. And for our region up here, we've found that, you know, our research has found that a, a, a dynamic cropping system 
is probably the most sustainable. Now, a dynamic cropping system, what is that? Well, it's, a, it's an approach to crop sequencing where you're making decisions on what to plant every year. So it's not like it's a fixed crop rotation, a three-year or a okay. five-year. It's what you're doing. You're taking into consideration precip that you've received over the winter. You're taking into consideration market conditions. You're taking into consideration what you've planted previously. Yes. And you balance all these things together to sort of optimize your economic, your production, your natural resource goals yep. in order to, to, to select that particular crop. Okay. Okay. And so it's, it's very adaptive and sort of adaptive management right. in some respect. So, so it's not formulaic at all. It's, it, it really involves the intellect of the farmer as he, as he or she goes on. Is that correct? Right, right. Because yeah. see, you, know, you, see, you can imagine that within a particular region, there's going to be a certain portfolio of crops that you can use right, that are adapted right, right. for your region. And then, then you have to take that information and you have to have real detailed understanding about the short-term sequencing effects. And, and we've done that research to understand how to best sequence different crops within the short term. And then you've got to do the long-term research to see how this model of a dynamic cropping system fares over time yeah. on yield and other stuff. And so, um, you know, our research, we've done a, a lot of that short-term research with, with some fantastic scientists who are here in, in, at this lab in, in, the, in the 90s and, and just, you know, retired just, just recently, uh, looking at those short-term effects. And they also set experiments in place where we could look at the dynamic cropping system over the long term. Okay. And what we've found is that under a dynamic cropping system, if we use spring wheat as sort of our keystone crop, yes. we find that its yields are 20% higher under a dynamic cropping system versus, say, like a, a three-year fixed rotation. Okay. okay? Um, and so there's the production component, and you can look at the soil health, and what we see is we see higher organic matter content. We see faster infiltration rates under that dynamic cropping system compared to the fixed system. And so you're, you're seeing soil health benefits starting to accrue from that approach as well. And so we kind of see that the dynamic cropping system is a sort of a, a win-win for producers. So you've got the, the, the production component, production's higher, higher yields, and you're also improving the soil resource, which is sort of, that's the, the long-term sustainability okay. component that plays into that, it. That's fascinating. Um, are you able to give us an idea of the science behind why, I mean, we're not even talking about cover crops, but why a dynamic cropping system would be more sustainable than a fixed rotation? Well, I think that there's the precipitation use efficiency okay, component. So, yeah, you yeah, said more infiltration. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're, you're, you're you know, you, you think about it. You think about a fixed rotation right. where you may have two heavy water using crops followed by one light water using okay. crop. But that doesn't necessarily take into consideration what the conditions are yeah. in terms of the precip you're receiving. Okay, all right. right. You might have a year where you didn't get any snowfall over the course of winter. It was, a, it was an open winter and, and you're going into the spring completely dry. In a fixed sequence, well, you're gonna plant that heavy water use and crop, perhaps, if you're really tied to that sequence, um, irrespective of what soil water status is, okay? okay? okay. Whereas for, for the dynamic cropping systems approach, what we can do is that we can look at our portfolio of crops and say, okay, well, you know, is it 
Is it a you know is it soybean? Is it dry pea? Is it you know what's you going to use the, the the less water and will it fit in with the rotation based on what we have planted the previous, the previous year and the, and the and the the residue that's there? Um, are there any you know uh, what's the market like yeah. for that crop? Yeah. Obviously they have to you know play that because you, you know you gotta gotta make the money there too. Okay. So yeah. right. Well, I might go off script a little bit, but you and I kind of shared a concern about, you know, as we traveled up here, um, it was very rare to see any crops other than corn and soybean. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, are you able in <laughs> to sort of kind of look down the road 20 or 30 years at what a continuance of sort of the fence row to fence row corn and soybean rotation is going to do for soil health or soil ecology and you don't have to answer that if you don't want to no i i i, I will and but i i will rely on on work that's previous published because before yes. i moved up here yes i was i was a, a postdoc down in in nebraska right. and i was fortunate to work on a series of plots that um, uh, fellow scientist gary varvel oversaw yes. and he started them in the mid 80s and they included corn based rotations yes. okay and um and there's there was continuous corn at different end rates and then there was a four-year rotation and, and and what you found is that that there were differences in the level of acidification between those treatments there were also differences in the level of microbial biomass in those treatments and it you know while you really couldn't come away and make real strong definitive assessments about you know long-term soil health you saw a trajectory yes. i guess where things may be heading now right corn is everywhere in the northern plains right now i mean there's been a huge push to develop varieties that are adapted to these these shorter growing seasons, yes. and it's it's here to stay without okay. a doubt. But it, you got a warm season grass, and then soybean. You have a warm season, you know, broadly. Okay, all right. Well, we're still cool season country up here. Yes. Okay, and so you know while those crops are important parts of our crop portfolio, yeah. they're just two crops of as many as sixteen. Okay. that we could plant up here yes. and and you know that you know the, the 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 corn is part of our dynamic cropping system here yeah. on the lab and and we're finding it has its place yes. but it has its place over you know over a, a five-year you know rotation right. not something that you're seeing every other year or Continuous. i see some parts of my you know homeland in nebraska it's continuous, All right, that was some pretty in-depth stuff, Buzz. I, I know that I've learned a lot from listening through even just this this first part of the podcast. Yeah, well, yeah, did the interview in 2013 and dug it up the other day and listened to it several times. So it's been, it's been fun for me as well. Um, so that was good. Uh, he's talked mainly about crop diversity and, of course, the, the uh, dynamic cropping systems. Um, the, the next podcast that we're going to do really mark addresses the role of uh, cover crops uh, perennials in in agricultural systems and then uh, we also talk about uh, livestock and then just look looking very briefly at soil function so there's quite a 
bit yes. of other information in that. Yes, there is. I know for me specifically, his explanation of cover crops and his advice to the farmer at the end of the podcast were really some of the gems for me. Awesome. Yeah. Well, let's let's. Uh, I'm looking forward to that next one. All right. I am Barrett Self. I'm Buzz Clute. And we'll catch you guys next time.